Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this Easter Sunday, 2023, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The Lord has been good to us to give us a bright, sunny, beautiful day, blooming flowers, and the uh, great picture of the cycle that God takes us through in a year and on our calendar, as, as well as uh, how there is a, a, a time of rebirth in the world. Amen? Before life comes death, the winter of, uh, of death preceded the life of spring. And in that same way, of course, the death of Christ uh, preceded his resurrection. Everybody say, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And uh, our call to worship today is from Psalm 22. And so uh, as I was a little distracted, I was thinking about he is risen, he is risen indeed. And I remembered my call to worship is from Psalm 22 which is a pretty tough psalm that is about the crucifixion. And today we're actually going to work our way through what happened with Christ in his passion from Friday to Saturday to Sunday. And so we're kind of starting off the beginning of our service a little bit on Friday. Does that make sense? And we're going to talk a little bit about the crucifixion and about the burial of Christ and about the powerful, wonderful day that we're celebrating today, the day that we commemorate the resurrection of Christ. Psalm 22 um, contains the words of Christ from the cross, even though it was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. Christ is, of course, filled with the word of God. He is the word of God himself. Psalm 22 is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I am not silent, but thou art holy, O Lord, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou did deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and they were not confounded." But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. And all that see me laugh me to scorn. And they shoot out their lip and they shake their head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. We see here in Psalm 22, the anguish of the Lord, the mockery of Christ on the cross the prayer that goes forth in Psalm 22, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou did make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb for thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help. Many bulls have come past me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. 
for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all of my bones. They look upon me. They stare on me. They part my garments among them. They cast lots for my vesture. Be not far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation while I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye seed of Israel, for he hath not despised, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard him. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear me. The meek shall eat and be satisfied and they shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. All ye kindreds and nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's and the governor among many nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship, and they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him and be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. In Psalm 22, we see the desperation and the anguish of the cross. We know that even preceding the death and the anguish of the cross was the anguish in the garden of Gethsemane. We know how Christ there in that uh, olive grove sweat as it were great drops of blood asking if there was some other way to accomplish what God had sent him there to do. And he said, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me Please let it pass. But finally, after praying for a long time and having to be revived, even by angels, he came to the point where he said, what? You guys remember? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was anguishing. He was uh, poured out like an offering to the Lord there in the garden and on the cross, his body uh, mangled by the cat of nine tails, uh, a crown of thorns jammed upon his head, blood running down his face, naked and humiliated before everyone there, pain riveting through his body from the nails in his hands and his feet, hanging on the cross as they mocked him. Hey, save yourself. If you're the son of God, you can do something about this. Mocking him with a sign above his head, king of the Jews, not just in one language, but in three languages. Could you imagine beholding that scene after having seen him walk on the water, raise the dead, feed the 5,000, restore sight to the blind? Can you imagine having all of the hope that you had dashed in the death of the Messiah? That's what Friday was like for the disciples who had walked with him, talked with him, listened to his sermon on the mount, heard his teachings about forgiveness and love and about the power of God and how God was going to trample down all of his enemies. But then watching what seemed to be the trampling of this maybe false Messiah, they could not imagine how that God could send a man 
that would be the answer for all of their prayers that would die. They imagined that he would come and deliver them from the Romans, that he would become their king. But instead of being on a throne, he was raised high. Yes, raised high on a cross. That's how they were on Friday. In a little bit, we're going to talk about how they were on Saturday. And eventually, we will get to Sunday. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the cross for our salvation and for our encouragement, Lord, many times we find ourselves in days that seem like by what we can see in our own eyes, they seem hopeless. They seem that what we have believed all along must not be right. And Lord, it is that at that time we must learn to walk by faith because walking by sight if they walked by sight on the day of your crucifixion, they will all walk away. And we will see that many do. May we today, Lord, trust you that you have a plan, that you are executing it, that your word is true, that it will accomplish everything that you have sent it to do. May we hear the story of your death, your burial, and your resurrection today. And may we relive it every day as we die to our own desires, as we die to what we see in our eye and we walk by faith according to your word and stand on the rock that is sure. That rock that was rejected by the builders has now become the head of the corner. Help us, dear God, to lay our feet upon the solid rock of your truth and to lead the shifting sand of this world. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said. standing for a second here as I read for you my text from Luke chapter 24. My sermon today is called Resurrection Road. In Luke 24, I'll begin at verse 13. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with him, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another, and as you walk, and are sad? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray today, Lord, as we look at this narrative from Luke 24, that you would speak to our hearts today. That, Lord, that we would not just be here for an Easter Sunday, but we would be here for words from you, that you would speak to us and change us by your words. In Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. We heard from John chapter 20 what had happened on Sunday morning. Maybe one of the things that you may see as a theme of what was going on is that the people could see that Jesus had risen from the dead as he promised that he would, but they did not believe that he had. In fact, it seems that they go 
kind of the long way around to figure out what's going on. Where is he at? Mary's asking, where have you taken him? And uh, can you show us where he might be, right? An angel tells him that he's risen from the dead and she, he tells the women and, and they don't believe the women and nobody's believing. Thomas is saying to himself, unless I see it myself, unless I touch him, unless I put my fingers in the nail prints in his hands or my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. There was a lot of doubt even about what they were seeing. Jesus said, blessed are those that believe and who do not see. It was great that Thomas became a believer, but it happened after he saw. And you'll see that it also said, and Peter believed. When? After he saw. But the Bible says, blessed are those that believe who do not see. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said this. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. And your faith is vain also. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. They which are fallen asleep in Christ have really just perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You know, I don't really believe that's the gospel that's being taught today. The Bible teaches this very, very plainly that if we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most, what? Miserable. But it seems that a great message of Christianity today is come and follow Jesus so you can live a happier, more fulfilled life. Now, it is true that in Christ we can have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. But the idea that Christ came just to make our lives better, to make us have nicer children or better marriages, is not the message of the gospel. It is a fruit and a byproduct of the truth of it, but that is not what our hope is in because we oftentimes, people are living in war. They're living in the time of a great plague or the judgment of God or horrible circumstances in their life or God calls people to the far-flung reaches of the world to preach the gospel where they suffer great persecution. Paul was one of those who had suffered greatly being stoned and shipwrecked and snake bitten and beaten and beaten of rods and beaten of whips and and, and, and that's why he could say, if we have hope in this life only, then we would be of all men most miserable. But wouldn't we be sad too if we were these men from our text? Could you imagine this living for three years, three and a half years, walking, talking, being delighted by the, the, the freshness of the words of Christ? You know, you're living in a world where uh, people had made righteousness about the clothes that they wore. They wanted to sit in the higher seats. They wanted to uh, receive praise from men. They gave their gifts and they brought great trumpets out to blast the trumpets so everyone could see them give. They would make disciples unto themselves only to make them 
the hypocrites that they were, the whited sepulchers. You're living in this day when the Romans are oppressing you and, and all of a sudden this man comes along and he begins to preach and he begins to teach and he begins to show you the truth and he begins to strip away the ugliness of the extra laws that the Jews had made, making everything ugly. The Sabbath was a terrifying, oh, I might break it. I might get caught. I'm going to get in trouble. People are spying and watching while people are trying to compare themselves one to another. Who's better? Who's more righteous? Who's more holy? We don't want to live in a world like that, right? You know, churches become like this too. I'm holy. I'm really good. I'm, I'm not just a Christian. I'm extra super special Christian. I think that we uh, ourselves have found ourselves in, uh, in that same exact world where we're proud of the things that we do that others don't do. Even within the church, we're proud that we teach our children how they don't do it and how we live our lives, how they don't live them, how we're submissive to our husbands and others aren't to theirs. You see, this life and the fruits of obeying God's word, the righteousness in it all has its own reward, but it's also a trap for us as well. Because as Paul said, he did not want to be found in Christ having his own righteousness, right? He wanted to have the righteousness of Christ. But wouldn't we be miserable to be these men? There would be no hope without the resurrection. They knew this and these two men were on the evening of this third day after a very long time intimate friend had died they put a stone over the tomb they had even heard that he had risen from the dead now his body's been stolen here are the Romans you know who tried to guard it from the resurrection and now they've taken it and hidden it somewhere so now we can't even go and visit his grave I mean could you imagine how demoralized these people were even though Jesus had risen that morning as he said he would they'd even heard about it because they had not seen it themselves doubt had overcome them and sadness had overtaken them the miracles of Jesus were incredible the teaching that Jesus gave them brought clarity into what God had been saying from the beginning and those that saw his miracles and heard his teachings we're certain that he was the Messiah while he stood there. But they were also certain that they had seen him die. And they knew that he was wrapped in a linen cloth, laid in a tomb. Son had come and told him the body was gone. They knew that as well. It seemed to be now all that their thoughts were just wishful thinking. Maybe they really hadn't seen Jesus do the things that he had done. Maybe somehow he had been performing tricks and now they were leaving Jerusalem and they were sad they were walking away from the other disciples the community that was around them and they were really walking away from their faith sometimes we do this too when the circumstances around us seem to be proof that everything that God has said is not true how many have ever felt that God was not listening to you, that he doesn't care about you, that he's abandoned you. You've been hurt. People that you trusted and let you down, disappointed you, and you're just kind of dizzy in the aftermath. 
Well, this is where these people were at that moment, but it was not where they would be for long. Soon they would make a turn and they would repent from their unbelief and this road thought to lead to Emmaus would really be a road that led to the resurrection for them. It had occurred, but for them, it wasn't real. This would be where their dead faith would be lifted up with Christ in the heavenlies. It's a beautiful picture of what Christ does for us in our faithless times and our times of unbelief. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He even walks with us as we walk away from him, but he always leads us lovingly on the road home, on that resurrection road. 1 Corinthians 15, where I read from a few moments ago, Paul did not leave those readers in misery when he said, if in this life we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. He continued with the words to lead them on this road to faith. Remember these words and let them walk with you when you find yourself walking away the wrong way. Let them burn into your heart today like they did in the hearts of those two men who burned on the road to Emmaus. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, but now, they say, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man death came, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Death is a certainty for every one of us here, unless Christ returns before that. And as certain though as Christ, as certain as we are to die, it is certain that Christ rose from the dead. These two men had seen the good man, the good shepherd. They had heard some good news, but they had allowed their circumstances to overshadow the sunshine of their faith. They stopped believing the good news they had seen firsthand and what they thought was real at the time, but Jesus would not leave them in their unbelief. If this is where you are today, God can do this for you. They thought they were on the road to a place called Emmaus, which is obviously away from Jerusalem. That road is still called that road, by the way, today. And even though they were walking away from Jerusalem, their road should really be called this resurrection road because it really is where it led them. The good news indeed is that Christ had risen. He had conquered death and through him death had lost its sting. And our hope is not only in this life, but in the one that is to come. Our bodies will die, but we will be raised as Christ was raised. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 15, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can learn a lot about the story as found in the four Gospels, but the best thing that we can learn from this news that we have from it is not that he heals or that he performs miracles. The good news, the best news of all is that he conquered death once and for all, and in him we have eternal life. So let's go to 
Luke chapter 24 and work our way through the story here for just a few minutes. Luke 24, 13, behold, two of them went the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. So about seven, seven and a half miles. The very day of the resurrection, arguably the best day the earth has ever known since man sinned in the garden. These two men, these true followers of Jesus, men who had heard the news, were walking away from all they had seen and heard. And they were walking away from their faith. They were leaving what had become their new home. On these 60 furlongs, these seven and a half miles of dusty road, they rehearsed the wonderful three and a half years of the life of Christ. All the wonder, all the greatness of it made their grief so much more. You know, when bad things happen in our life, it seems the good that preceded it makes the bad even more. Someone who loved, you know, their husband or their wife and they had a wonderful marriage when they die, it makes the grief all the more. And they had loved him and they had seen him and their grief was, I can't even imagine what it must have been. Verse 14 says, as they walked together, all the things which had happened, it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus drew near and went with them. Can you sort of picture this there? walking down the road and probably for a long time while they walked, they probably weren't saying anything. You ever get like that? You ever just been sort of stunned by what's gone on and you're just kind of like, you know? Well, they had, they had miles and miles and hours to walk and they walked and they walked and finally they were just like, yeah, but, but didn't you see him? Didn't you see him take a few loaves and a few fishes and feed Thousands? I, I know that was real. I know that really happened. And they were probably in their minds just grappling with the whole thing. But Jesus drew near and he went with them. This is what God does when we struggle in doubt and fear and unbelief. He draws near to us. We, we walk away from him, but what does he do? He draws near to us. You know... That little poster, it may seem like a little silly thing. I don't know if you've seen it, seen that, that poem that goes with that poster where there's, a, there's a, uh, a single set of footsteps going through the sand. And in the poem, they're like, look, Lord, you walked with me so long, but look, you left me. And now there's just the one, it's like, oh, Lord, I've been walking by myself. And in the poem, he realizes that the Lord never left him, that he picked him up and he was carrying him that whole time. And that he wasn't alone. Their eyes were holding. They should not know. So here Jesus was. And they don't even know he's there. Here, the one that they were talking about. The one they were loved so much. And the one that they're so sad about. is walking with them. And they don't even know it's him. Remember when Mary sees him? It's the same thing. She doesn't see that it's him. But it's him. Jesus had taken on a new role in their lives. He had been there in plain sight day after day, but here he obscures himself and becomes the unseen hand of God. This is what God does for us. The man Christ Jesus cannot walk and talk with us day after day as a man. We don't all have our personal Jesus walking around with us, performing miracles and answering our questions every single day. But he does keep coming to us, drawing near to us 
in the spirit and even through other people. When our faith seems to die, he comes to us on our own resurrection road, bringing us back home to our faith. We get to verse 17. He said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another and you walk and you are sad. Jesus enters the conversation and he enters the emotion. He's recognizing, I hear sadness here is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing a letdown, disappointment. Anybody ever been let down, disappointed, confused, don't know what's going to happen next, don't even know where you're going. They're on the road to Emmaus. I don't think they probably cared where they were going. You ever got in the car and just drove? You don't even care where you're going. Anybody know? Just, just like, I don't even know. Come on, we got an honest person on the front row here. I don't know where I'm, I just got to go somewhere. Jesus enters a conversation. How often do people speak to us and without our knowing, they are the voice of God? How often do we unknowingly entertain angels unaware? People of God, God himself and those ministering spirits said to be for all of those who've inherited salvation, they are never far from us. You might want to ask yourself, what are you saying in your conversations? I mean, sometimes when we have doubts and fears, we ended up spreading them with others. So one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto him, are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known these things which are come to pass there in these days? Do you guys remember who Cleopas is? Most people don't. His wife was named Mary, stood by the cross with her mother, with the mother of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Cleophas church history says was the brother of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And so Cleophas was at the least a very close relative of the Lord himself. He said unto them, what, what things, Jesus is asking as if he doesn't know, what, what things happened in Jerusalem? Can you tell me about it? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed. Now, what do they call him? Are they call him Messiah or a prophet? They've, they've downgraded him. He was a prophet indeed and in word before God and all the people. And don't you know how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they have crucified him. They weren't willing to say he was the Messiah anymore. Well, he was just a, he must have just been a great prophet. Cleopas explains how Jesus was a prophet. He was mighty in word and deed before the people, perhaps one of the greatest, a prophet like Elijah or Elisha, but with maybe, maybe a double portion of what Elisha had. His greatness was overwhelming. He may have taken time to tell his most amazing miracles, that he saw, Cleopas said his words were, were great too. He may have shared with him some of the words from the Sermon on the Mount, or promised the judgment of the destruction of Jerusalem. He may have looked into the sky as it was dim and dusk began to settle over the mountains. He might have remembered how Jesus had said this temple would be destroyed in three days and he would raise it up. Yes, he was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and the people. I could almost hear Cleopas sigh with longing for these days. He, he was, but now he's gone. The chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be 
condemned to death. You know, sometimes we can't even speak the terrible things that have happened in our life. We find it almost like it's painful to even say it. Like, how many of you ever got to talking about something that went on in your life and you don't realize how it still hurts you and, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah. And they took him and they crucified him and he died. Like, I'm telling you, this was, a, this was painful. Oh, the pain of having to say the dreaded words to say what was done to this man that he loved so much, that he had so much faith in, but there was still more. He goes on in verse 21 to the most difficult part of it all for Cleopas and his companion, verse 21, but we... Now he's speaking for him and his friend here who is unnamed. But we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed Israel. Can you hear the disappointment in his voice? All this great prophet did and said were wonderful, but we had hoped for even more. And beside this to this day is the third day since these things were done. And certain women of our company made us astonished when they were early at the sepulcher and they found not his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and they found it as the women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. They obviously didn't believe their friends had seen a vision of angels. They didn't believe the message that Jesus was alive. This was not a message they could believe secondhand. They had lived with him day after day like another disciple we heard about earlier, Thomas. They needed to see him for themselves to believe. After all, they had seen him suffer. How could he still be alive? They could not comprehend the resurrection Verse 25, then he said unto them, Oh, fools. And in fact, this word fool is not a fool like we hear in the Bible over and over, the kind that are, you know, bad people. He basically asks them if they're stupid. Are you people stupid? Don't you know that I was with you? Like, like, don't be a fool. Don't be such a moron. Didn't, didn't Jesus tell you this was going to happen? And then they're having to think about it. They're like, you know, he, he did say that. Oh, fool, slow to heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I'll tell you what, one of the greatest experiences any human being has ever had on planet Earth was had on the road to Emmaus. Walking and talking for hours on end, Jesus begins at Genesis and works his way through the Bible, showing them. And I think a lot of the theology that we get in Romans and Hebrews and some of the epistles must have come from this conversation because sometimes until it dawns on us, you know, that light bulb goes off until we get it. We've missed it all along. I was talking to the kids at the table yesterday at our house and I was saying, we don't understand how often what we already believe in our mind clouds what we hear. 
Because, you know, Jesus is talking to them and he's telling them the words, but in their mind, what are they doing? They're rephrasing them. They're, they're, they're changing them because certainly it can't be like that, right? I mean, right? Right? Peter was so upset by what Jesus was saying. You, you can't die, right? And what did, what did he say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me. You would think Peter and you would think the disciples would have remembered that Jesus was even angry or having a difficult time with Peter and rebuking him, not listening to this instruction about his death. But you know what God always does? He takes us back to his word when we begin to waver. It is the rock on which our lives are built. In the midst of every story, the word of God holds us firm and keeps us from sinking in the angry waves of our doubt. Faith comes by hearing. And right now, that's what they needed. They needed faith because they had lost their faith. And so what did he do? He took them to the scriptures. As this stranger we know was Jesus spoke the words from the Old Testament prophets reminding them of the man of sorrows who would be wounded for their transgressions, bruised for their iniquities. He pointed them to David's song from Psalm 22, how that he would be pierced. Faith began to rise. Notice he began to disclose with a stern rebuke, oh fools, slow of heart to believe the prophets. This is what the word of God is for us. We never like those rebukes, but faithful are the wounds of those rebukes. I know I've been through some rough stuff lately and as I go through the rough stuff, I sometimes have to stop and go, oh yeah, you know, the Bible says, yea, all that are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. <laughs> You're like, I was kind of hoping to avoid that. You know? It says, you know, if you suffer for being some kind of a scumbag, if you, if you get in trouble for and go to jail because you're some kind of loser, you're some kind of, you know, liar or thief or, or whatever it is, that's one thing. That's, that's bad suffering. But if you suffer for doing what's right, then you get to participate with Christ. And I'm like, I don't really, I don't really want that. I mean, I kind of like the idea of like, you know, uh, you know, preaching the gospel in a foreign land and, you know, all of a sudden they want to kill me like that. That sounds kind of exciting, you know. But just doing right, trying to live your life and getting run over by a truck for it. That's rough stuff. But Lord, you're like, where are you, Lord? I'm like, I'm right here. You're getting to go through what I went through. Sometimes we have to remember the word of the Lord. We have to remember that God promises us that in fact, what happened? If you remember when the disciples were beaten, it says they rejoiced that they were able to suffer shame for his name. Faithful are the wounds that these rebukes bring from the word. We need to learn to welcome them for they are the voice of God. Paul reminded Timothy in his second epistle to him that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. When we become faithless, we need someone to lovingly bring us to the word. This is how Jesus was using the scripture, and those who love you will do the same thing if they are to obey God's words themselves. Verse 28, as they drew near to the village, whither they went, he made as though he would have gone further. Jesus you know, these kind of things might bother people, but Jesus was pretending. He was making them believe that he was going to maybe keep walking with them and keep talking with them some more. And they were just kind of like, hey, you know, he, because what did it do? It set him at ease, 
right? But they constrained him and say, why don't you stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And so they go and they find a place and now it's time to eat. And I, I can imagine they're probably like, man, I am just loving this time that we're having together. And I'm learning so much from the word and I just want more of this. And, you know, it's what the people of God, when they, when they hear the voice of God, you know what they want? They want to hear more. For three days, all they could hear was their own doubt and fear. And now they were being lifted up in faith by the words of a stranger who somehow was sent to them at the right time. They wanted more and they begged him to stay. Night was coming in Emmaus, but the day was about to come in their hearts. Verse 30, it came to pass as they sat at meat with them that he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. What a beautiful way to reveal himself. It says at that moment, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him. And as soon as they knew him, he vanished out of their sight. What a vision. How kind God is to us, even in our unbelief. He comes to us with just what we need right when we need it. And there they were faith starved, hungering and thirsting in the wasteland of their unbelief wandering in the wilderness of sin yet God came as a pillar of firelight and he brought them his own words as the bread of heaven and then he took it he broke it and blessed it each week we gather here our faith is renewed as we gather together as a church we come into this place after six days journey and we come here and we break bread and I pray as you hear the word of God preached each week that your hearts burn as theirs did that day and you hear the voice of Christ and you see his face. That's why we come to church, not just to see each other, but to see him. Verse 32, as they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? I hope that's what happens when you come to church. I hope, and I always, I talk to my wife about this and my children quite a lot. When the Holy Spirit is ministering, yeah, you've got a guy up there and he's preaching, but the Holy Spirit is speaking a message to you. And when you guys sometimes will tell me at communion or at the meal, the things that you heard me say in my sermon, and I know I didn't say them, I'm always very encouraged. I'm encouraged because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. They rose up in that same hour and they returned. Everybody say they returned. They returned to Jerusalem by faith. They found the road back home. They found their resurrection road. And they found the 11 and they gathered together and them that were with them saying, and now they were saying, right? The Lord is risen indeed. And he hath appeared to Simon. Now they were bringing the words of faith. See, that's what happens when God turns us around and it renews our faith. It's not just for us, it's for others as well. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they spake thus, Jesus himself appeared in the midst of them and he said unto them, peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a ghost. And he said unto them, why are you troubled and why do you thoughts arise in your hearts? 
Behold my hands and feet. This is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for the joy, wondered, he said unto them, Have you any food? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it before them. Something that is interesting to note here, if you remember, Jesus had told them they would not see him eating and drinking until the kingdom of God came. He did this in Luke twenty-two sixteen. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom. And yet what do we see him doing here? We see him eating. We are not waiting on the kingdom to come. It has already come. Jesus came to restore God's kingdom on earth. As it tells us in Acts 10, 41 and Matthew 16, 28, Mark 9, 1 and 9, 27. We are heaven's citizens. Everybody say right now. We are ambassadors to influence the earth right now. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And they said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Today, you might find yourself on that same road that road to Emmaus, that road walking away in faith, maybe the circumstances of your life have led you to stop believing. Listen to the word of the Lord today. Find your hope in the scriptures. The promises of God are true, as true and as sure as it is that the sun will rise tomorrow. Jesus will be king over all the earth. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we do it willingly today. Amen. Can we say thanks be to God? He is risen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for the power and the truth of your word. We thank you for your gentle walk with us on our own resurrection road. Lord, that when we walk away in disbelief and faithlessness, when we cannot believe because of what we have seen, Lord, you love us enough even to let us see and help us to believe. Lord, you're good to us today, and I pray that you would just raise us up, Lord, that we would be encouraged today for your goodness sake. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note, and also consider partnering with us.